What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Unapologetically Black Bear, where we talk about surviving the stigma, standards, and systems. Once again, my name is Dwayne Pate. I'm one half of the of the host here. Um, shout out to my co-host, Brother EJ Stewart, and shout out to Jay Pope and Associates for being a consistent supporter and sponsor and just providing that positive energy that we need to continue to celebrate African-American men. Once again, this podcast is meant to, to celebrate African-American men, their definition of success, and how they've overcome the standards, stigmas, and the systems of society. Make sure you, before you do anything, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, we're up to 43 subscribers. So by the time you see this, we should be up to our 50. Uh, so let's make sure we continue to push that um, and continue to push this message of positivity because we we on up, we on a roll. We're going to keep continue to grow this thing. But we have a, a great guest on today. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Brother Dana Lewis. He's going to introduce himself. Um, you see his credentials in his name, but he's going to tell us a little bit about himself and, and his story. All right, Dana, it's on you. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, my name is Dana Lewis. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and CEO of an urban group mental health practice here in Baltimore called Whole Life Center. I'm excited to be on here with you guys on this platform, and I'm ready to dive into some transparent conversation. Oh, and also I'm a husband, a father, and everything else in between. Just wanted to add that in there. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so Dana, let's let's talk about where, where you're from. Where you where where'd you get your start at? Um, let's 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 dig in a little bit there. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I got my start east side of Baltimore, man. That's where I was <laughs> in the days, you know, single single mom household. You know what I mean? That's where I got my start initially. But um, as far as like social work is concerned, I got my mm -hmm. start at Baltimore City Department of Social Services. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I met my man E. Emilio, that's where we gotcha. met. I started um, doing social work there um, in foster care, starting there, and mm -hmm. uh, made my way, worked my way up through the ranks to be where I'm at now as a private uh, practitioner, man. But how I got into social work, though, was mm -hmm. by um, doing counseling for John Hopkins when I was in high school. I went to Dunbar, and my first job ever was counseling young kids, man, middle school kids. And being able to pour into them and speak life into them. And after going through that experience, man, it was like, man, I wanna, I wanna do this more often where I'm like sharing advice and being able to hear people's stories. So at the time, I was like, how can I get into this profession of social work? So my father at the time, a licensed social worker, I asked him, like, hey, I want to get into more of helping people and helping people weave through their stories at the time. And I was like, is social work that thing? And he put me on. And he was like, yeah, there's a lot of avenues where you can do that, and particularly a therapist. But he was like, you got to start from being a case manager and work your way up. So I was like, hey, sign me up. I'm ready to go. So that's just mm -hmm. a little bit about my start in the field of, you know, social work. Gotcha. So growing, so growing up in East Baltimore, what were some of the things that you had to face just kind of as an African-American man in, this, in that environment? Me being a product of East Baltimore myself um, and knowing, you know, particular areas, you know, can be a little difficult to grow up in. So can, tell tell us a little bit about that and tell us about, you know, you mentioned your dad being in social work, kind of help connect that piece and how he yeah. played a major part in your life growing up. Gotcha. So, yeah. So growing up in East Baltimore, man, it was it was different, man, especially coming from a household where, you know, my mom, she didn't really want me in the streets like that. So mm -hmm. I was kind of like closed in a bit, but 
nonetheless, man, she taught me some great values and some things like when I do go out outside of the home. And one thing that I must say, like growing up in East Baltimore, like being different, man, like sometimes I would I would get chastised for that. Like, yo, you're mm-hmm. not acting like the guys over here. And I sometimes I would feel bad, but then I had to understand that being different was cool. You know, being different kept me out of trouble. Being mm-hmm. different helped me to see the world from a different view. And, you know, that's some of the things I had to deal with, you know, being different from those in my community at the time and really trying to navigate that to find my identity, especially growing up as a young man in East Baltimore. Very impressionable things be going on out there. You know, mm-hmm. I could have got a lot of stuff, uh, drug dealing, the girls, things like that. But my mother was like, you know, you got to represent the name right when you leave, leave this household, you know, and I ain't bailing you out of jail. So you, you stuck there. <laughs> So when she told me that, I was just like, all right, let me keep my head on the swivel. You know, let me stay focused. My my job at the time was school. She's like, your, your job is school. You know, mm. you don't have to worry about working. I got you covered. But focus on school. That's your job. Get your education. Because she was big on that and making sure that, um, you know, I stayed out of trouble. And as far as my dad is concerned, man, like just seeing him navigate through social work, and seeing how he managed that, I was like, wow, that's something that I want to do, being able to help people, being able to mm-hmm. serve. And he would always take me on different, like, you know, office meetings that he would go to. So I could mm-hmm. kind of just sit in and hear what was going on when he was working for different um, outpatient mental health clinics. He would allow me to sit in on some of these conversations. I was like, wow, this is cool. You know, I want to do that. I want to mm-hmm. serve in that capacity. So he definitely showed me the ropes and he definitely was able to get me in positions uh, where I could expand my career. So I appreciate him for that. Awesome. Yeah, and and you you talked about um, where you started, and and I remember uh, <laughs> those <laughs> days and that time, you know, and 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 permanency in uh, you know a major city, especially East Coast city, isn't isn't an easy place to start, and many people get there and they burn out. And they fade away and they just walk away from this thing completely. But you seemingly had a vision, you know, being a male and probably one of, I mean, shoot, I was one of the only ones before you got there. Uh, So being probably only one or two of a handful at that time, how were you able to maintain your agency and stick to this plan that you set forth to being where you are now? That's a good um, question. Basically, what I what I did was I kept my eyes on the prize. Like I knew, like it was a stepping a stepping stone. I knew it wasn't mm-hmm. like my final destination. But even though I was there, I was like, how much can I get out of this situation that I can take with me moving forward? And one mm-hmm. thing that I can say is that even though it was a tough environment to work in, you know, and doing pregnancy at the time, and you like you were saying, like all the all the factors and dynamics that come with the city. One thing that I can say is that it taught me how to be an ultimate social worker. You know what I mean? It taught me how to, you know, navigate through crisis. It taught me how to, you know, navigate through certain dynamics when it comes to clients. So pretty much how I kept my 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 groundedness during that time was just looking at it like as a means of learning. Even though it was stressful at the time, I was like, how can I learn? What things can I take from this situation and apply? To where I am now, because my my goal, even when I was there, was to always own my own practice, own my own 
private practice at the time. So I was just learning the ropes. And everybody tells me, told me then was like, you know, this is where you gotta start. This is the stepping stone, but get everything you can get out of the situation so that it can grow you and be, you know, the social worker at the time. Outside of your your dad, you know, did you encounter any other mentors along the way? Because I, I remember there there, you know, just and this is another fold of this, but you know, being the only men especially in that agency at that time we were looked at in so many crazy ways um so let me let me start my second point what were some of the stigmas and and standards that you had to get past or or navigate through in that space and then were there any mentors or or you know guides outside of your father at that time so my mentor, I actually met when I was doing like part-time therapy outside of DSS. He was my clinical supervisor. We still cool today. He was my mentor. And he really was like teaching me about how to navigate mental health overall, because his ideology on mental health was like, you know, you really got to look at it from a macro, micro and meso perspective. Like you got to look at the whole, the whole picture, man, when you serving clients. And he really instilled that in me. And he really was just teaching me the ropes and just put me on to different types of literature to help expand my skill set. So that was a mentor um, outside of uh, DSS and outside of my dad that really, you know, poured into me and still to this day pour into me. And as far as like the stigmas that come with, you know, being a black male social worker, you know, like, oh, man, I can think of so many. But a couple that comes to mind is like. Being a black male social worker, you got to come across as all macho and hard and things like that. And I'm like, you know, I don't have to come across like that in the workspace to get my point across and show my presence as a black male social worker, you know? So that was like one of the things, one of the stigmas that I really was like inheriting, like I really had to navigate through, like I can be me, I can be myself and still be able to connect with, you know, the clients I was working with then and now, you know, I don't have to be nobody else. I can be me. I can be comfortable in who I am and in my identity as Dana, first and foremost, serve from that space. So that was like one of the main stigmas that I personally had to weave through and, you know, get comfortable in navigating that. Oh, that's that's dope. And I, and I, I want to commend this brother because, you know, uh, being the minority among hundreds of women, you know, <laughs> this 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 man found his his soulmate you know yes. I, I i was there for i i witnessed the, witnessed. the, the stages <laughs> and, and so you know that's that's a beautiful thing because ever since i met you you maintain being that that calm smooth dude you know who was who was um profound in his faith and, and just saying you know i remember you just always shaking your head like you know i'm just you know doing your thing you know so i i definitely want to give you your flowers man because you know outside of that stigma you know some of our our peers and and you know you, you get mixed up into oh well you know he he got to be a player or something you know you know it, it's so many different avenues that we get pulled into being that minority and you you know you came out in, in one of the most beautiful ways possible you know so definitely shout out to you Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Yeah, that was a, a magical time, man. You know, I never thought I would meet my 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 wife. Uh, the social services. I never thought that, you know. But <laughs> I, I really appreciate that, man, because that was like a a stigma, another stigma. Man, you know, all these women, you know, you got to pick up the litter, you know, you can go all around. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just like, you know, I'm trying to get caught up. You know, I'm I'm here to to work. I'm here to, you know, serve the client. And if I meet somebody, cool. If not, cool. But I ain't trying to get in all that drama. I'm, I'm, I'm on a mission. I'm a man on a mission. When you're a man on, on mission, your wife will come. So I was just staying focused and she came to me and it happened. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Okay. Okay. Mm, you, huh? Mm. I remember a little different, but you know, you know, you know shout, shout out to, to the Lewis clan. It's, it's definitely a difference. Everybody, everybody has a story. It's your story, their story, and the truth. But I mean, let, let's stick, let's stay right there as far as, you know, us being all African American men and being mm. clinicians and being in the mental health field. You know what? What? What are some additional struggles that you have? I mean, not just at the Department of Social Services, but you have kind of moving forward from that moment and just kind of making sure that you are the best representation of yourself. Absolutely. So, like some of the things, man, like I encounter, you know, just being a black male clinician is, and this is real. I'm just gonna be transparent with you guys. Is sometimes it's like we looked at as the superhero. Like I gotta come mm-hmm. in. And- save the day now not saying but at times it's like i i'm not i can't do that all the time you know what mm-hmm. i mean like i'm not like the superhero like you go to a black man place he'll save the day and i understand that you know we are unicorns and we are uh major major influences in our community especially in this mental health field but at the same time it's like that weight of feeling like i have to be a superhero for every client sometimes you know, I had to really understand that I can't be that, but I can provide the best type of mental health services that I that I can. And anything that's outside of my scope, I'm going to go study it. But I can't put that superhero cape on my back all the time for every client, you know. So that was like something that I had to personally weave through because that was eating at me. Like, I was like, man, like everybody just reaching out like, yo, you're a black man. Social? He worked with my son at the time. I was with a teenager. He worked with my son. Mm-hmm. We work with um, even my daughter, like she needs a she needs a, a role model, and I think that you can help her. And I'm like, oh man, this pressure, you know. And sometimes, you know, I'll be like, man, like, can I even do this? You know, can mm-hmm. I even serve the client in the way that they are kind of putting me on this pedestal of being the superhero? I have to actually weed through that and actually understand, like, you know, I can't necessarily be that, but I can be the best Dana. Best black male clinician that I can be in that moment. So, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I think recently I started to kind of feel that type of pressure. Mm-hmm. You know, where working for my working for the agency that I work for, it's like you know I don't mind like I, I don't mind being that that person, but it's like yeah. how how much can I do to mm-hmm. save everybody that that they keep sending my way? And it's mm-hmm. like hot, and it's like you have to learn to. I mean, it goes back to just setting boundaries at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> it's just kind of setting those boundaries. Like, all right, I want to do it, but can I really do it? Can I really do it and be effective at being myself, my mm-hmm. a husband, a father, and still, you know, making sure I get what I need? Um, right. And I think, I think that's a very key 
lesson and there's something that we just got to keep in mind as black male therapists or clinicians to make sure that we do practice that balance and that we are even though we are unicorns we can't be everybody's unicorn uh, <laughs> and we just got we got to work within our um our frame of reference and work and i would say work smarter and not harder um just kind of learning the the depend on others and like building that building your network and mm -hmm. starting to develop that so i i can appreciate you for sharing that because that's definitely something that i realized over the last couple of years I, that i've been doing therapy um mm -hmm. that you know as much as i want to save everybody i can't um as much as i want to be there i i really can't um mm -hmm. so i just got to do the best that i can to be in who i am and thrive in that role so yeah i appreciate it. thank you for sharing that hey no doubt man i'm glad what you said too about building that network so now i understand like all right i gotta have different networks of clinicians mm -hmm. more clinicians so you guys I'm, I'm always bringing up you guys and then i have another brother that you know i work closely with that do uh, therapy as well so i just refer out if i can't take on you know the clients at the time so yeah that network is everything absolutely yeah and, and you both talked about you know being married and, and you know all of us being family men um you know how do you find that balance in <laughs> you know, running the business and then you're dealing with mental health. So you're not dealing with cars. It's not like I tell people we're not accountants to where everything is the same numbers are just this way. You're, right. you're taking on other people's stuff on top of what you have. How do you balance that, that mental balance of being all of these things? Yeah, that's a good question. Pretty much, man. Like what I started doing, especially over the pandemic was like what Dwayne was saying, like setting those boundaries, man. So like on Saturdays, that's just family day. I'm not doing no type of business. I'm not answering no emails. I'm not answering nothing that's dealing with the business per se. That's strictly for family day. Saturdays, that's it. Now during the week, like once I'm off of work, I see my last client in the evening, I put the phone on do not disturb. You know, and it's a ground rule in, in our household that once you get off of work, once I get off of work, we're not talking about business. We're talking about, you know, catching it up for the day, getting in with our son. So that's something that we have to learn because when you're running a business, it's it's on most of the time, you know. Mm -hmm. It's something that you could be doing at any moment for your business, you know what I mean? And me and my wife, we really have to have a discussion, right? It was bleeding into our household, so we have to really say and really stick to the boundary, like, after you get off of work, we're not talking about business. We're talking about family. We're catching up with one another. And as far as, like, my self-care, man, that's what I was hearing as you was asking that question. You know, it is a lot that we take on as, as clinicians, man. We, we, we carrying all of, you know, the client's story and different dynamics that they got going on in their life. And it can, you know, wear on you. So I had to be very proactive about my self-care because, again, Prior to the pandemic, I was doing in-homes. I was moving here, there, and sometimes mm -hmm. I would forget. But like during this pandemic time and being able to kind of sit and kind of be virtual, I was like really able to think about like a self-care plan. And mm -hmm. usually like my self-care plan, after I get off, like I said, I connect with the family. But then after I connect with the family, I decompress. I watch something fun to get my mind off of things. I'm reading an interesting book something that can bring me knowledge that can help ease my mind. I'm doing different things to kind of recalibrate myself before I pack it in for the night, man. So 
that's something that I really had to really be vigorous on and proactive about is my self-care as well. So those are just some of the things that I, I do for self-care and boundaries. Yeah, I'm glad you, you, you touched on that, man. And, and again, you know, salute to you guys for surviving, you know, and, and thriving, you know, through this pandemic, you know, something that none of us have experienced in our lifetime, nor our parents or their parents. You know, we talking about something that hasn't happened in the modern century. And, and you know, so that that's got to be crazy, man. And and I mean, I, I'll be honest with y'all, man. I mean, I, I've had my MSW and doing this thing since 2010. And I never wanted to be a clinician. I never mm-hmm. liked the clinical part of it. Um, so it, it, it's always amazing to me to talk to you guys and, and, and knowing your passion for it and just understanding that's a whole nother level of brain think, you know? <laughs> um, so I, I just always respect y'all because, you know, the full time I have, I'm always dealing with that. And then I had that part time. So I couldn't imagine. You know, people like, why did you never? I, I could never imagine starting my own practice. And and I mean, how how did you guys? What was the conversation like? We all sat down and bravely was like, let's do this. How how did that go? Mm-hmm. So pretty much, you know, when we were dating, right? Me and my wife, we were dating at the time, and we always talked about having like a like a dream center here in Baltimore that provided a multitude of services, so therapy health and wellness, like classes, parenting classes, the whole nine, right? So we were always talking about that, always in conversations about having something like that here. So kind of fast forward to 2020, we was like, you know what? Let's let's really execute on this. Let's create whole life center, a place where, you know, people our age 21 through like 45 can receive quality services and really experience generational healing and break mm-hmm. these generational cycles, right? Plus, on top of that, our experiences of going through different agencies and we saw how clients were being treated. We was like, yo, we really need to create something where we can bring our ideology around mental health to life. You know, mm-hmm. so that's where Whole Life Center was birthed. And we was like, you know what? No better time than now. We took a leap of faith. 2020, you already know, the height of the pandemic. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know who's going to get clients or not, but we were committed to the vision about creating a place where black and brown people can just come in, break these cycles, feel loved on, you know, feel accepted in a space where they don't have to code switch. They can be them and really mm-hmm. move in being cycle breakers. Cause that's the thing is like when we work with quote unquote clients, we don't call them clients. We call them cycle breakers because we're here to provide that support so they can break generational cycles and, moving to generational healing. So it's always been in the talks, but, you know, we saw the pandemic. We saw where we was needed in, in the world, not just here in Baltimore, but in the world. And we was like, yo, let's step out on faith. Let's let's open up Whole Life Center. And we've been, we've been covering, we've been blessed since then and being able to, you know, provide uh, therapy services for our people. Awesome, awesome. So, so opening it up during the pandemic, can you kind of give us a little uh, a synopsis of that experience? I know you can't really sum it up in a you know in a, in a thirty or forty minute interview, but right. kind of give us a, a synopsis of that experience and I, that and the pivotal lessons that you learned in 
getting to where you are now. Yeah. So, oh, so opening up a practice in the pandemic. Oh my gosh. Like, like I said earlier, we didn't know like if, you know, we were going to get clients. We were just not sure. But when we opened up them doors, the clients started like flooding in. And at the time, you know, it was just me and my wife as the therapist. So we were like, you know, overbooked, you know, mm. because at the time we felt like, oh, my gosh, like we really need to service the people that's coming in. So our, our, our caseloads were overbooked and it was a lot of stress, a lot of strain. And then at mm. the time, you know, still having to navigate, you know, being a new business owner at the time. So navigating, figuring out different types of systems at the time, mm-hmm. what things we need, what things we don't need, what things can we do to get better? How do we go about hiring, you know, new clinicians? So that was just some of the things that, you know, was going on at the time when we opened up, you know, Whole Life Center during the pandemic. It was fast paced, too. We wasn't mm-hmm. expecting, you know, the pace to be that fast. So it kind of caught us off guard, but I would say about six to eight months during that time, we was able to get some footing. Still kind of fast paced now, but now we're able to be more grounded and navigating the ebbs and flows, you know, of the business. And we're just grateful now that we got a team, team of clinicians now that can help us and serving our people that's coming through the door. So yeah, man, just a lot of a lot of lessons learned during that time about just navigating pressure navigating mm-hmm. um you know influx things like that on top of understanding that this is a pivotal time being in the pandemic and being in the crux of it and being able just to uh provide people with support at the time and understanding that you know we do have influence and managing that influence at the time as therapists was some of the lessons that we learned uh during that time definitely awesome um you know, before before we cut out or anything like that, you know, uh, two things. Firstly, you know, what what is the vision? What do you envision uh, Whole Life Center uh, going forward? And 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 tell us then, tell the people how they can reach out to you guys. Um, you know, some of the things that you offer and 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 things like that. Yeah. So pretty much, man, what I'm envisioning Whole Life Center to be is the premier urban mental health group practice in Baltimore. I'm envisioning just, again, like I said earlier, people from 21 to 45, African-American, to be able to really, really, really experience healing to a whole new level, you know, a level that they never would have imagined that they could do. And for us to be in that position to do that and to also provide like a multitude of other services as well. So like events where healing takes place outside of the therapy room because it's so much you can do outside of the therapy room. So being able to hold healing events where people can experience healing on a whole nother level, you know, provide educational courses that go around the city to different communities who might not have access to mental health services or may not have, you know, good access to get around and things like that. Providing those type of services in different communities here in Baltimore and just to, to be uh, a media company as well. So getting into podcasting, things like that, being able to share mental health on a bigger scale through media as well, so that people not just here in Baltimore can heal, but people across the states can heal. So that's where, you know, Whole Life Center that I see envisioning, that's what I see uh, for us as an as a agency, you know, moving forward. 
And tell the people they can find y'all. Yeah, man. We can uh, be found at www.wholelifecenterservices.org. You can catch us on Instagram at Whole Life Baltimore. You can follow me on my Instagram, urban underscore counselor. So those are all the platforms where you can find us at. Tap in with us. We're here to serve you, and we're here. Awesome. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you for definitely sharing that information. Uh, I do. We like to kind of I got two questions uh, and yeah. we're going to kind of close on this. Um, how would you define success? And then the second part, it's not like really a question, but more like a statement. Like if somebody's listening right now, um, how would you and they are kind of on a fence about doing counseling or therapy? Like what what are some words that you can say to them? to kind of encourage them in that process. So it's like two part, what's your definition of success? And then how would you encourage somebody? And we can kind of close right there. Absolutely. So my definition of success is being one with yourself, knowing your identity, because once you know your identity, pretty much the world is yours and you move in purpose, you move much more clear when you know who you are. So that's my definition of success, knowing who you are, knowing who you are called to be, and moving in that, moving in that purpose, you know, that's my definition of success. And as far as someone that, you know, may be on the fence about mental health, especially if they are a black male and they may be on the fence about mental health, I would say, you know what, your presence is needed. Your impact in this space is needed. There's people out there that need you, brother, to come and serve in this field and trust and believe, like, you can make a change with just your presence and your skill set. You can make a change in this field. So come in, serve alongside us, us brothers here, and let's impact Baltimore and let's impact the world, man, with our presence as black male social workers. So come on in, come on, join the party. <laughs> I, I needed that. <laughs> oh, come on, in, join the party, man. I'm tired, bro. I'm tired. <laughs> I give you a red bull, man. <laughs> what they said it gives you wings it gives you wings, gives you wings. Sure. <laughs> well man once again thank you for you know taking time out of your schedule just kind of hop on you know just kind of share a little bit about your story definitely definitely enjoyed it thank you for you know just kind of being transparent with us and just you know allowing us to see a little bit a little glimpse of dana lewis and you know and how you became who you are today um and, and just the different the different levels to it the different you know different levels that you have to yourself as well as to your business that you are visioning for not only for us but for the culture for the community so definitely thank you for that yeah and definitely congratulations man and you know congratulations and just you know being able to witness the the the, the work of art that has become you know it's, it's it's surreal you know what i mean and and like i always say when we interview someone i always take something that hits to the heart and you know your focus and your drive um that was really paramount for me and so you know it's it's just dope to see how it all started and see where it is and you know nothing but continuing on and keep rocking man for sure thank you bro thank you sir absolutely so once again we want to thank you all for joining us for another episode of unapologetically black male where we talk about surviving the stigma, standards, and systems. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe, and share this information. And make sure you, if you're interested in connecting with Dana Lewis and learning more about the Whole Life Center, 
um, LLC. Make sure that you um, click the links below. All the information, you can follow him on Instagram, follow him on social media. But let's make sure that we continue to promote this, uh, this company and promote the brand and continue to help spread this message of positivity as well as this podcast. So once again, thank you for joining us and we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Have a good one.